Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are in Chapter 11 of the podcast here in Season 2. And we are talking about um, a new theory that I'm working on called Relational Type Theory. And uh, this is building on what we were talking about in Chapter 10 about logical relations. And uh, I don't usually like to, you know, I'm not, my goal isn't to promote my own research, but this is so, first of all, it's in the forefront of my mind. And so it's a great thing for me to be talking about now as I'm trying to write a paper about this. And uh, it also builds really strongly on what we just were talking about in the previous chapter. So I hope you will, um, won't mind listening to me talk to and think about this with you. So anyway, um, the idea with relational type theory is that we're going to try to design a type system based on the binary relational semantics of types. And so it, in fact, it's kind of a... One thing that, that drove led me to this point, and we talked a little bit about this in the first two episodes about kind of starting to explain what the theory is, but just as more background, I guess, is kind of what, what led me to thinking about this way is, you know, when we think about types, I mean, this is the Iowa type theory commute, so we think about types a lot. And types are, um, one very natural way to think about types is as kind of abstract representatives of, uh, you know, some collection of programs, right? So, like, the NAT type, you know, it's a syntactic object. It's just like this little thing. It's a token um, that, <laughs> uh, no, no overlap with cryptocurrency intended. It's this object, math, it's this uh, syntactic object that stands for any natural number or possibly for any computation that computes a natural number, depending on how things have been set up. And... Uh, so that that's really, I would say, probably the, the predominant view of typing is this. So when we talk about you've got a program and it's doing this or that, it says, oh, it takes in a hash map and something or other and something or other and it does this. You know, it. I mean, the type is just giving this, it's an abstraction, um, a syntactic abstraction of a, of a set of programs that, or a set of values. Um, but there's another, and so that's, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's capturing the idea of abstraction by saying we're going to just associate a bunch of different things with one sort of representative. I mean, it's not representative isn't the right word because it's not a member of the set. It's just this thing we came up with to stand for any NAT. Okay, so we say, oh, you know, the abstraction we've performed is in going from a bunch of natural numbers to this special syntactic object called NAT, and so that's one way to sort of depict abstraction or to sort of represent abstraction. But another way to represent abstraction, and um, you know, this is in some deep senses could be uh, identified with Reynolds' paper that we discussed a few episodes ago at the end of chapter 10 about types abstraction and parametric polymorphism. But uh, uh, and that's to say, you know, another way to view an abstraction is as, as an equivalence of saying these two things, we're going to consider them to be the same, right? So, you know, I always, you know, I'm teaching undergrad class about programming languages. I'm, I often use this kind of example like, well, you know, we can, form the, we can think of the abstraction that just says, you know, um, students. And what, one way to view that is to say what we're thinking of is forget all the differences that people in this classroom, let's say, have. Uh, but they have this one thing in common that there's, I mean, many of us in the room have one thing in common that they're students, like let's say registered students at the university. 
So that's saying, I'll consider you equal. I'll consider two things equal if they're both registered students. And if they're not registered, both registered students, then I'm not going to be considering them equal under this abstraction. So, um, so in that sense, by equating certain things, um, we're saying certain differences don't matter to me. I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that they have these common essential characteristics, uh, that they share these common essential characteristics, and I don't mind that certain things are different, right? Or like a natural species, like flamingo or something. Instead of thinking of, like I've got this flamingo symbol that I've sort of abstracted all these birds to, another way to think about it is just like, well, you know, these flamingo, you know, things are equal uh, as flamingos if they have certain, you know, genetic characteristics in common. And it doesn't really matter if they're exactly the same height or exactly the same shade of salmony pink or whatever that is. You know, there's some essence, some essential characteristic that we're identifying. And of course, in real life, you know, the reality is that um, it's extremely difficult to pin down those kind of essences um, exactly, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is a source of lots of intellectual effort to think about kind of, oh, you know, what's a living thing? Let's have the abstraction of living things. Oh, viruses aren't those. I always found this kind of weird as a non-biologist, but hey, I defer to them. You know, so we think of, we're identifying things that have certain things in common and um, we don't care about some differences they have. Uh, as long as they have those those features in common, you know. Now, happily, in a sort of formal setting of computer science or formal logic or math or something, we can be ex completely precise about what the essential characteristics are that we care about for some abstraction. Um, and so, this idea of relational type theory is to use this kind of view of a type instead of thinking of a type as this sort of um, you know, abstract name for a set of things, we're thinking of the type as expressing this relationship between things. And, um, and so we're going to identify things uh, based on this kind of relationship. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of an underlying idea that led me in this direction as well. I was like, why don't we set up a theory of abstraction based on equivalence of things, like indistinguishability of things? Okay, so I'm sure I have some more abstract thoughts kind of along these lines that I might want to share, but let's just return a little bit to some of the technicalities of how, what this relational type theory is. So I mentioned to you that at least for this version of relational type theory, um, we're just going to have... You know, so as I said before, the recipe is we need to say what the types are, then um, what they mean, and uh, and then we can turn to thinking about how to give typing rules based on their the meanings of the types. Okay, so that's kind of like at least for a Curry style type theory, I think that's the proper order one should be considering things in. Um, you've got some kind of programs. You have some types that you just describe. Then you say what those types mean somehow in some kind of terms of those programs. And here we're going to say what our, our types mean as relations on programs. We're going to say this program is related to that other one according to this type. Um, so the types we have are the types of system F. So we have type variables, function types, you know, impredicative universal quantifications. Uh, and boy, are those powerful, right? That's why we're... <laughs> That's another sort of theme I have a little bit here is kind of 
people add all this stuff to type theory. It's like, you have any idea how powerful and predictive universal quantification already is? <laughs> Are you sure you really need to add this other stuff? <laughs> So that takes us through the types of system F. These are types of relational type theory. Now the um, now what gets funky is that we can add some. We're going to add some. As I said last time, this is just review. We're going to add some some things that as type constructs would seem totally bizarre in regular type theory, but make perfect sense when we're thinking of types as relations. So for example, we need to add composition of types. So we have a new type construct that just you can write with like a center dot, just like T dot T prime. What does that mean? I mean, in normal type theory, it, that'd just be baffling. What could, I mean, you could, surely you could have a binary infix operator on types that might mean something, but, um, you know, composition, what would that mean? But here, it's simple. Types are interpreted as relations, so this dot operator is relational composition, okay? And then we also have an operator for converse, which we're writing with a sort of superscript cup kind of symbol, just because that's what I've seen being used in some other um, works about sort of theory of relations. So we have a converse operator, so if, um, if you have a type T, and under the semantics, which we'll talk about more in a moment, under the semantics, say um, some term T1 is related to another term T2 by this type big T, okay? Then the converse of type big T relates T2 to T1, right? It just, converse just flips the relation. So if X was related to Y, now Y is related to X under the converse relation. And finally, we have this last little ingredient. Um, this, is, this is like the whole set of types right here. We have this last ingredient, which is very powerful, and that is promoting a term to a type. So if you've got a term, like say lambda XX, you can just view that as a type. What type is it? Well, remember, we're interpreting types as relations. So we're going to interpret the, a term as essentially the graph of applying the term. Okay, so lambda xx, um, two terms, I think I'll say x and y for my term as being related because it's just too confusing with t1s and t2s and stuff. So if I have terms x and y, um, x is related um, to y by the promotion of some term t. If t, of, if t applied to x is beta eta equivalent to y. Okay, so, you know, if you viewed t as a function, namely the function you get when you apply it, when you form the syntactic application of t to some argument term, right? So if you viewed t as a function this way, then the promotion of t is, is giving you the graph of the function, the sort of input-output pair relationship, a relation of that function. So anyway, to say it one more time, if you take a term T and you promote it to a relational type, then X is related to Y by this term, promoted term T, if T of X is beta eta equivalent to Y. So T is working kind of like a function, and it relates X and Y if, uh, you apply, if applying it to X gives you Y, up to beta eta equivalents. Okay? So that's the complete set of types. And, well, I just said what the semantics of that type is. Um, and, you know, so anyway, we have to, have to say what the types are and then what, the, what they mean. And so I just told you what that one means. And the other ones, the meaning is, well, actually already pretty clear. I mean, the meaning of the composition operator is relational composition. I guess the one thing I should say, though, carefully, more carefully is um, we're interpreting types as binary relations on untyped terms 
of pure lambda calculus. Okay? So we're relating, I sort of was implicitly saying this, but to be more explicit, we're relating terms T1 and T2, where these are just, just terms of pure untyped lambda calculus, variables, applications, and lambda abstractions. Um, so, uh, so that that's what these relations are relations over. They're you know relating uh, terms of lambda calculus, and so anyway. So now when we go back and we talk about what are the meanings of these types, all, the meaning of every type is some binary relation on terms. And we already said what the promotion of a term is as a relation on terms, and the composition operator. Well, that gives you relational composition. So if you have two types let's say A and B, the meaning of A dot B is, well, go get the meaning of A and then form the relational composition of that relation with the meaning of B. Okay? The converse operator, imagine. <laughs> the semantics is con relational converse. Okay? And, uh, um, you know, of course, the exciting ones are the system F types, but we, in a sense, it's, we already know what those, the meanings of those should be because it's exactly the meanings you're told you should have from this sort of theory of logical relations and, and parametricity for the universal type, right? So, so technically, when we're giving the semantics now, because we have type variables, you know, usually when you're giving semantics for something that has variables in it, your semantics needs to have this extra little piece of information, which is what, you should, what values you should use for the, your variables you might encounter as you're trying to interpret some syntactic expression. You know, this would be just, this is just as true if you're trying to, say, interpret arithmetic expressions, like 1 plus x. What's the meaning of the arithmetic expression? This is a different example. This doesn't have anything directly to do with this rel TT system. But just to kind of make the point about variables uh, in semantics, like if you're having, trying to give a semantics for arithmetic expressions, you have 1 plus x. Well, what does that mean? You have to give what's sometimes called evaluation for x, you need to say, you, need, you can only interpret an exp expression relative to something that tells you what the meanings of the variables are that occur, the free variables that occur in the expression. So for 1 plus x, well, its meaning is dependent on what you say x is. If you say x is 7, then your semantic function for arithmetic expressions would tell you that 1 plus x means 8. Or if it was, you know, addition mod 5, it would tell you that 1 plus x is three, if I got my, my modular math right there. Anyhow, that's just an example. So here with the system F types for relational type theory, we also need evaluation because you might be going inside of a type that has a free type variable. How can you say what that means uh, unless you say what the type variable means? So you have to say what your type variables mean, and so they, they need to also mean um, binary relations on terms. Uh, and um, actually, I guess it's a good point to mention uh, one tiny technicality here is I'm going to interpret types as binary relations on terms, but the term these relations need to be compatible with beta eta um, equivalence. And what I mean by that is that if I have x related to y, then I also need to relate x prime to y prime whenever x prime and y prime are beta eta equal to x and y. In other words, if you have two things that are related, then you basically need to relate all their, so to speak, beta-eta cousins, right? Anything that's beta-eta equivalent to X and beta-eta equivalent to Y, you would also need to relate those things, okay? Um, so that's an important 
requirement. That's the only requirement I make on the relations that we're interpreting types as. So, um, so anyway, so when you have a valuation that's saying what the type variables are that you encounter in a, in a relational type, then that valuation has to map type variables to these beta, eta closed um, relations on term, on uh, relations on terms. So, um, okay, and then, you know, so that's so variables we handle by just asking a value, the particular valuation that the semantic function is given. What's the value for the variable? Function types, we know how to do those. This is just a good old logical relations thing we've been talking about for um, months in the chapter 10. Just like f is related to g at a function type if f maps related inputs, I'm oh, sorry, if f and g sort of jointly map related inputs to related outputs. So if I've got two inputs, x and x prime, then and that are related, then f of x and g of x prime also needs to be related. So, um, and the same thing with universal quantification, it's the same kind of thing. It just says, um, when are two terms related at a universal type? They're related if for all, you know, beta, eta closed relations are that you might want to use for the universal variable, then the two terms need to be related at the body of this for all type. So say you have like for all xt, then your two terms have to be related at type t, but under an extended valuation where you say that the variable x is mapped to this to some this relation, and you're you're interpreting um, this needs to be tr you know to relate two terms at a universal type, this relationship of, for the bodies with extended evaluations extended extended valuations. That needs to hold for all relations that you might want to instantiate the variable with. So, um, you know, syntactic for all becomes semantic for all. This is this is the sort of basic idea of uh, interpreting impredicative um, quantification. And so, and that summarizes the semantics. It's I mean, if you write it out, you know, in little recursive equations to define the meaning, it's just. Well, it's one for each type construct. They're very short and small. It fits into like a <laughs> postcard size amount of space to explain the meaning of this, uh, the types. Um, so one thing that's appealing to me, very appealing so far about this rel TT system, is that the core axiomatization is teeny weeny tiny. It's just, you just explain what the meanings of these types are as binary relations. There's only, let's see, type variables, function types, universal quantifiers, and then um, these you know, relational composition, converse, and then promoting a term. There's only six constructs. So your sort of core axiomatization of the language is just six equations that explains what the meaning of these things, uh, the meanings are. So that's pretty awesome. And um, you can, what we're going to see is that you can um, build a lot of stuff with this core theory. Um, and uh, and so you have this sort of small core, and, and you say, but what are, don't you want to have equality in your language? You just have these kind of types that don't. There's where are the dependent types? Where are the equalities? The dependency is 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 kind of hidden. It's sort of erased because um, we're we're going to talk about when functions are equal, and our our semantics gives us a theory of saying when functions are equal. So say you want to prove that addition is commutative then you're going to prove that the addition function is equal to flip of the addition function. 
at the type nat to nat to nat. Okay, so in other words, proving a th interesting algebraic theorem about an operation like plus um, really just amounts to proving that this piece of code it gives you the same answers as this other piece of code. You know, regular addition and the addition that swaps the arguments gives you the same answer because addition is commutative. And so to express that, you don't need dependent types in this theory. You just say that the two functions are equal at this non-dependent type. Uh, and there's no equality type because equality is basically built in everywhere. Like everywhere, you're having a relational interpretation of types. So I don't need equality to express relationships. All my, all my types express relationships. So in that sense, the, this theory kind of, when you look at traditional type theory from the view of RELTT, it just looks strange because you're saying you care a lot about this equality relation. I mean, there's so much ink has been spilled on what's equality in type theory. And yet, um, it's kind of just bolted on to your existing type lambda calculus. And RELTT is kind of an extreme opposite direction that says, um, basically, the, the equality is so intrinsic to the theory that we don't even have a symbol for it. It's just built everywhere. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that another time. Thanks for listening to my kind of longish podcast here today. I hope you're well wherever you are.